Is it fall yet? Is fall officially here? I feel like it is. It's football season, some cooler temps, fire pits are getting lit up, and guess what? It's time for another edition of the Hops and Spirits Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. We've got a great episode for you this week. we got a lovely mix of hops and spirits. We have Shane Baker, the master distiller and co-founder of Wilderness Trail in Kentucky, joining us. And I think you're going to like our six-pack of questions. Remember, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and now Twitter. All of those at Hop Spirits All One Word. That's right. We're on Twitter now, Facebook, and Instagram at Hop Spirits All One Word. And remember to check out our sponsor, One Sip Beer Review. You can find them on Instagram at One Sip Beer Review. They do near-daily beer reviews, and they also have some great giveaways and a lot of fun. So check them out at One Sip Beer Review. Let's not waste any more time, and let's open up a six-pack of questions. Joining us now on the Hops and Spirits podcast for a six-pack of questions is Liz, better known as Girl Meets Beer on Instagram. Liz, thanks for taking some time. Oh, you're welcome. Now, my first question, I have a feeling I know the answer. I say this a lot, especially when it's kind of in your Instagram or your social media handle. Beer or bourbon? What are you picking? Uh, I got to go with beer, even though every now and then I do like bourbon, but beer is definitely my first love. I had a feeling that might be the, be the case. Uh, what what what's your kind of go to these days when it comes to beer? Uh, style wise, I'm definitely an IPA girl, which is funny because when I first got into beer, I stayed away like from IPAs like crazy. But that's definitely my style. And now that I'm living in um, Colorado, I've been exploring all the local breweries. And first thing I always look for and always order those an IPA. And then you know if you you mentioned you do dabble in the bourbons and others. What, what's one of the bourbons or something that you enjoy and maybe keep, you know, for for a rainy day, so to speak? You know, I, I wish I could remember the name of it, but my husband actually got a special bottle of bourbon from Michigan, which is where I'm from. Um, he actually found it the day that we found out we were pregnant with my son. And I'm blanking on the name right now, but it was from somewhere in Michigan. And (laughs) yeah, of course, I'm going to leave right now and go look at it or when we're done and it's going to drive me Mm -hmm. crazy. But that is definitely the favorite one that we have in the house. He's a bourbon drinker, though, so I know we have several around. (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) Now, you know, you mentioned, you know, craft beer is something that you've you've enjoyed for a little while now. I I was doing a little reading on your website, Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I might know what drew you to it. But what kind of got you into craft beer? I mean, I'm guessing was it just uh, that that magical day at BJ's uh, brew house? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's really funny because I don't. I don't know why. I just, I still remember about 10 years ago, I really wanted to like try some beer. And, you know, when I was in college, I had some Bud Light or some whatever about playing beer pong, but never anything good. And one day I just kind of was like, you know what, I want to go out and I wanted to explore and try some beer. But sadly at that time, when I was living in Orlando, Florida, there wasn't much for me to to discover quite yet. And yep, I went to BJ's Brewhouse, which I don't know if you have them in uh, Kentucky, we, we, have, we finally got one recently. <laughs> okay, yeah. They're they're quite prevalent in Orlando. So I went there and I, I think you probably saw on my blog, I ordered, it was my mom and I, we ordered every single beer on the menu, which is like a taster thing. And I still remember drinking them and 90% of them, I was like, oh, I do not like these. But I found a few and I kind of dabbled in it a little bit. And then I just kept exploring more and more. <laughs> 
Hey, nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, to me, to me, I think that's a great way. And uh, you know, we we finally got a BJ's here maybe a year or two ago, and one of the first things I did when we went there was I had to have their house beer. So yep. I, I I totally get it. Yep. Um, you, you've lived a few different places. I know you you mentioned Michigan, Orlando. I believe you're out in Colorado now. Yep. Um, I'm sure you've gotten to travel a little bit. You know, maybe not during COVID. No. Uh, but uh, what's the best place you've gone to visit? You know, beer wise or not? What's the coolest place that you've been able to go? Um, I think beer wise, since you know we're talking about beer, it would have to actually be Denver. Um, in 2016, I got lucky enough to go to um, the Great American Beer Fest over in Denver. And um, that was my second time coming to Colorado, but my first time that was focused for just like a beer event. And I fell in love with the city and the state. Uh, The beer was awesome. And I mean, it was just, I mean, it was a whole weekend that was just devoted to like beer drinking. Um, So that's when I remember thinking to myself, like, all right, I need to move to the state. And (laughs) obviously, a couple years later, I made it a, you know, made it a goal. We made it happen. I was going to say, it, it all worked out in the end for you, right? Yeah, it did. We're not in Denver. We're in Colorado Springs, but it's only about an hour south of Denver. So we're close enough. We plan on taking plenty of uh, day trips up there. And then kind of a second part to that question is, you know, where would you like to visit? You know, maybe on a beer trip that you haven't been able to get to yet. Yeah, there's actually like two cities that I really would like to go to. Austin, Texas. Um, I've heard great things. It's, I heard it's a great city. I would love to get over there. Um, and then also Asheville. Uh, I have some mm, friends yeah. who, yeah, I've had some friends who moved up there. I'm a couple friends actually now. And same thing. Great for their beer. Great city. Heard it's really beautiful. So after, you know, COVID and everything, we would like to start traveling again and get to go out and see some of our friends who moved. Yeah, definitely. Asheville is one that I, you know, being in Lexington, it's on my way to when we go on our, our beach trips to, to the coast. And uh, I must say, Pretty much you leave one brewery, you go to the next, it's mm-hmm. right next door. So I, 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 that is a great place. And I'm kind of envious of you being out in Colorado because I've heard many, many great things about Colorado beers. Yeah, it's we've just started exploring and I mean, it, it's been great so far. And like I said, when I have gone up to Denver those few times, it's the same type of thing. You don't need to drive, you kind of just park your car and or Uber and you're, you're good to go because there's plenty of uh, places around you within walking distance. Um, one of the other things, you know, obviously I mentioned you, you've lived a few different places. Now you haven't been in Colorado long. Um, which place that you've lived has had the best beer? I'm going to put you on the spot on that one. Ooh, see, that's hard because I've, I've lived in three places basically. Uh, one was Michigan. Um, then I moved to Orlando and then I'm obviously in Colorado Springs now. And, you know, I really think Michigan probably has the best beer, um, but when I lived there, I was still pretty young. Um, I moved to Florida in my early 20s. So I didn't really get to explore like the craft beer scene as much as I would have liked to. But when, I, um, had got, when I've gone back up there to visit family, I've been able to take trips to Kalamazoo, uh, Grand Rapids, even Detroit. And the beer scene up there is absolutely amazing. Um, so I really think, I mean, Colorado is really good too, but I haven't been able to explore that quite as much yet. So, so maybe if we, you know, try this again in like a year, you, you might change your mind. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I probably will. Yeah. But I do like my family's still up in Michigan. So I get to go up there at least once a year and I always make sure to check out different breweries that I haven't been able to go to. 
And, I, and I'm sure you bring a nice haul back to wherever you're living. Oh, yes. That's always a uh, must for wherever we go. I've sometimes <laughs> packed extra bags or figured out, you know, arrangements for flying. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, my One thing I read about, about you that was I thought pretty interesting is I, I know from following along on Instagram and, and so forth, you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. But you also, you know, obviously teachers get summers off for the most part. Mm-hmm. You did a little bartending. How did yeah. you decide to do that? And, and how was that? Yeah, so I have um, the first time I was bartending, I was actually also full time teaching. And I worked, you know, I, I worked in a high school. So I had to start at about 7am. So I worked from about 7am to three. And then I would go to the bar and work at the bar from I don't know, five to three, basically in the morning. Um, and I only did that for a little, a little bit of time because I realized like, I can't do this. I can't be doing both at the same time. Um, so then after that, I finished up my school year and I actually was dating a guy um, in Orlando who was a bar owner. And he reached out to a um, close friend of his who also owned a bar and they were looking for somebody um, and he mentioned me and I, it became my summer job, which was much easier because I wasn't uh, teaching full time anymore. So it just became kind of like my summer hobby and I really enjoyed doing it. Um, it was great. It was good for extra money. And then I also got to meet a lot of people, but I obviously got to like learn more about beer too. I was going to say, I'm sure it didn't hurt to have a little extra money to oh, exactly. you know, try try a little bit, you know, try a few more beers and you exactly. know, not, not feel bad about it. Yeah. Yes. It was definitely a, a good part-time job for me. <laughs> and then my final question to close out the six pack is what's the coolest thing you've been able to do because of craft beer? Cause you know, I know you got a good following, you've, you know, you've, you've got a website, you know, blog, things like that. What's the coolest thing that you've been able to do? Honestly, the coolest thing I've been able to do is the people that I've met from Instagram, um, from my website. Um, in Orlando, I, I had a good group of friends, but after I started my Instagram, um, it was amazing some of like the other people that I was able to connect with, just like local um, in Orlando. And one of the really cool things that I did with the help of some of my local Orlando um, beer community was when all of this started happening with COVID, um, and all the rest, I'm sorry, the bars were really, the breweries were shutting down. Um, we formed a big fundraiser kind of giveaway, I guess, for our local breweries. And um, we all went in, bought a bunch of gift cards, and then raffled them off on my, our Instagram um, accounts to local people. And then after everything was kind of reopening, we all got together for a big bottle share. And it was awesome just being able to meet all these people in person. And these are people that I still talk to almost daily. Um, and even just not on Instagram anymore. Um, you know, the people who became my good friends. So it's been really great just meeting other people and then moving to Colorado. I haven't met a ton of people yet, but the three people I've actually met and been hanging out with are all, um, people that I've met through Instagram, through my followers or just from people that I've reached out to. So it's definitely more than just a post a picture about your beer and, you know, write about it. It's a great way to meet people too. I was going to say, I, I think in in general, the craft beer uh, community and bourbon, you know, and really the craft drink community is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is. And I'm very thankful for it because, I, you know, it's hard meeting friends when you're older. So <laughs> I'm glad that I have this like uh, outlet that I'm able to kind of reach out to and still connect with other people. 
Absolutely. And for those that want to find you uh, on social media and other where, other places, where can they find you at? Um, you can find me at Instagram. It's girl underscore uh, meets underscore beer underscore. Um, I also have a website. Um, and if you go to my Instagram, it is actually linked in my bio. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Liz, I really appreciate you taking the time and thank you so much for talking a little beer and your life. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Liz, better known as Girl Meets Beer on Instagram for taking a little time to join us on a six pack of questions. Do check her out on Instagram. She's a great follow. Uh, Lots of beer, lots of fun. Girl Meets Beer on Instagram. And now we're going to lean away from the hops and more toward the spirits because joining us now on the Hops and Spirits podcast is Shane Baker, co-founder and master distiller of Wilderness Trail in Danville, Kentucky. Shane, thanks for taking a little bit of time to talk bourbon and spirits with us. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for having me today. Now, literally out today is some some big news for you and your other co-founder, Dr. Patrick Heist. Uh, You were named Entrepreneurs of the Year 2020 East Central Award finalist. How awesome is that to get? uh, That had to be a nice way to start your day. That was an amazing way to start a long list of emails. Uh, It was. (laughs) It was a a wonderful, uh, you know, very humble surprise uh, to us. And uh, we're elated to be, you know, really sharing, um, you know, that that kind of situation with a lot of really bright entrepreneurs and, and some brilliant businesses, you know, that have been part of that program before. So it's it's very cool to see uh, uh, some recognition, I guess, for things that that we often overlook. And now, you know, kind of switching gears, obviously you got that award or that honor for, you know, Wilderness Trail and your work there. But before you guys kind of got into the bourbon business, the production of bourbon, bourbon that is, mm-hmm. you, you all had started Firm Solutions, which provided services to distillers, the brewing industry, et cetera, et cetera. What made you guys launch that? Um, and that was in what, 2006? Correct. Well, you know, it's interesting. Our story uh, is entangled with friendship and a band. So (laughs) Dr. Heist and I uh, were in a rock band together uh, back in the 90s. Uh, He was actually a career student still going to school to get his, you know, Ph.D. Uh, I was in kind of corporate America. And in between that, we had a rock band that uh, we were just trying to, you know, make happen, and, and we were having a lot more uh, fun than we were anything, of course. Um, and through that experience of, you know, us cutting the CD and different things and dealing with the bandmates, uh, both Pat and I, uh, not only did we have really a strong friendship, but we kind of noticed we were both strong entrepreneurs. And, that, and we were both really embedded in science, and we had passion for bourbon, and, you know, we, we just shared a lot of similarities. And so it was just really kind of this, you know, fortuitous, you know, fork in the road opportunity. Uh, He had been at Pikeville Medical College for a few years. I'd been in a capital venture situation uh, to where, you know, we were exiting that business. And it was just time to do something different. And we came together over a napkin, uh, designed out this whole distillery plan, (laughs) flipped the page and realized we'd spent all of our money on band equipment. So <laughs> it, it fell apart <laughs> almost as quick as we got it put together. And, but before we left that table, we committed to each other that, you know, we, we, we got to find something that we're good at that we can afford to do. And, 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 and almost in the same breath, it was like, well, if we can't beat them, we join them. Why don't we be consultants? 
and, and Firm Solutions was born. And so we really had a strong understanding of, you know, the sciences. I'm a mechanical engineer, Pat's a microbiologist. So we were the perfect storm of, uh, you know, ideas. You know, I'm always looking on the outside of the pipes. He's looking on the inside of the pipes. And we had this unique approach to solving uh, distilleries, breweries, wineries, you know, production problems, quality problems, efficiency problems, uh, just right out of the gate. So uh, it, it was just this perfect marriage born uh, over a nice, neat uh, drink of bourbon. And you, I'm also guessing the band didn't exactly take off like you all had hoped. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Now, we had a huge following in Kansas for some reason, maybe 10 or 15 people out there. But, uh, but no, really, the, uh, the band didn't go anywhere for us. Um, not that we weren't any good. We probably just we thought we were better than we were. Um, it, it just didn't have uh, probably the passion or the opportunities for us to really highlight what we were good at. But I mean, it seems to have worked out okay for you all now, right? I mean, I'm, I'm it just absolutely <laughs> did. It absolutely did. We're, we're blessed to be where we're at today. There's no doubt about that. Now, reading up on you before the interview, I, I noticed your family has its roots in the bourbon industry. It was your grandma and grandfather were kind of yes. in it. So, yes. so it, I'm guessing, was it just natural for you to follow? I mean, did you just think, you know, bourbon, you know, right out of the <laughs> gate or how did that work? <laughs> well, you know, ironically, uh, it, it wasn't the first thought for me when I came out of school. Um, and it's kind of one of those things like I wish I knew then what I know now, right? Um, but I grew up in it, and so it was just kind of ubiquitous to me. Um, my grandmother started working at Kentucky River Distillery when she was 14 or 15 years old, and she retired from Stitzer Weller, uh, you know, at retirement age. So, so needless to say, you know, her tenure in the distilling industry, she got all of my family jobs when they needed jobs. So, you know, when we would go uh, for Christmas, the place is always full of just cases and cases of whiskey stacked to the ceiling and stuff without labels on it and, you know, one-offs and just all this crazy different stuff. So I grew up, you know, immersed in it. Um, and, but it wasn't just, you know, uh, I was an engineer. I was fascinated by, you know, robotics and just moving stuff like that. And uh, so I didn't go directly into that path, but it's, it's so interesting how it came full circle uh, for me and my family. Now, did you? I'm, I'm taking I'm taking a wild guess here and say you did enjoy the bourbon when you had the chance to you know to to have one you know when Absolutely. you were old enough at Christmas, right? Yeah, there, there's some stories I could tell about that. Uh, you know, us kids would get shoved into the basement while the adults would have fun. Well, what they didn't know is my grandmother's main collection of whiskey, uh, which was like Old Fitzgerald, you know, Old Rip Van Winkle, you know, the old coveted Stitzer Weller juice. Uh, was all laid in in the basement, and we were masters of steaming tax seals <laughs> off. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah, it. yeah. So it, you know, unbeknownst to me, I was drinking some really nice whiskey at a, at my my first sips. Well, I'm guessing then that made a natural progression when you eventually thought about you know firm solutions, and then from there, uh, you guys were able to launch what is now Wilderness Trail Distillery in 2012. Now, did you use that napkin from way back when, or did you come up with a little different plan? <laughs> we, we came up with a little, little different plan because, you know, structurally, um, things had changed for us. We all of a sudden had a budget, uh, to work with. We, we were a lot smarter, uh, then than we were when we started. 
in terms of, of knowing what we wanted to do, you know, how we wanted to do it. You know, when we were growing firm solutions, uh, you know, in the early days, you know, Pat and I, we, we flew Maxima Airlines. And a lot of people aren't familiar with that, but Nissan makes it. It's called a Maxima. And we would fly in that car <laughs> anywhere we needed to be <laughs> to get there and, you know, act like we were this, you know, big, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll fly in tomorrow. So we would get a call. Hey, can you be in Nebraska, you know, tomorrow morning, eight o'clock? And it's, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. And we're like, yeah, we'll take the plane. We'll be there. And so, boom, we'd load the car up with a bunch of cookies my wife made. And, and we would have these long road trips anywhere we went. And we would spend, you know, 15 to 20 days out of the state trying to grow that business. And that whole, all of those road trips, you know, I mean, just thousands of hours in a car was us, you know, unbeknownst to us, building and shaping what Wilderness Trail would ultimately become. And then, you know, you all pretty much launched it as a craft distiller and you were remaking what about a barrel a day when you started We were making out? one to two barrels a day and we're scared to death we were going to be able to get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, what, what's that like, you know, I mean, I mean, especially now looking back to where you guys are, I mean, to be barely able to make a barrel a day and, and truth be told, you probably had to do, think of some other things or were you still doing, you know, firm solutions on the side? No, no. Firm solutions through that whole cycle uh, remained full time. Um, and really that was um, the, the catalyst or the, the funding mechanism for us that allowed us to really fulfill our vision for Wilderness Trail, which was to, to make a quality whiskey and to present that as a mature Kentucky whiskey. And to do that, we knew we had to age, you know, at the time of our thinking, we're, we're going to go six to eight years before we even release a whiskey. It, it's just, it's just got to happen. And so for us, Firm Solutions, we were just cashing our paychecks there, you know, over into the distillery side. And so in each year, you know, that business is growing. We're doing more on the distillery side. And just every year we just kept compounding that growth to where, you know, now we're sitting on tens of thousands of, of barrels. You know, we're on 168 acres here in Danville and we make 200 barrels a day. So 60,000 barrels a year now compared to, uh, you know, 450 barrels maybe that first year. So we can, we can make that in, in, in a little under an hour now. So <laughs> I was going to say, it's definitely a little bit different now, now for y'all. I mean, how have you guys been able to just grow? I mean, you guys have, I mean, I know bourbon is getting bigger, so, so to speak, but I mean, you guys have grown leaps and bounds from, you know, a barrel a day to, you know, a barrel a minute now almost. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, 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 again, it's back to that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, perseverance, tackling every challenge and obstacle that's coming at you and being very confident about the calculated risk that you're taking. And, and so we did, I mean, we, we try to be smart, you know, business guys And Kentucky bourbon kind of makes it easy for us because, you know, the old saying is you can make bourbon anywhere in the United States, but if you want to sell it, it better come from Kentucky. And, and so we had a little bit of blind faith in that, that, Hey, if we make an excellent product and we focus on nothing but quality and how to make the best whiskey and put all of the science that we know into how to make the best mash, you know, how to develop the best cook process, what is the best barrel entry proof, how, 
aged wood do our barrels need to be before we enter them? How long do we need to age them? What direction do our warehouses need to lay, which we have six warehouses. You know, we store up to 100,000 barrels here today. So which direction do those lie in our Southern hemisphere? I mean, we were paralysis by analysis <laughs> on the whole process. But again, we had years to develop that, remember in those, those car rides. So we amassed really a collection, what we always proudly tell, of a collection of the best optimization you know, solutions to building a, a, a distillery and making a whiskey from all over the world. And so we've learned from all the master distillers, working with them on what they did right and what they did wrong. And so we, we kind of had it, you know, uh, pretty easy almost from that standpoint, because what, what we deal with in an average day in firm solutions, meaning taking hundreds of phone calls sometimes, you know, we're dealing with problems that some distilleries may never see, or at least they'll hope they never will. But we get exposed to it. So we're, we're always, you know, usually one step ahead in the process and improving that, that quality. We're talking with Shane Baker, co-founder, master distiller of Wilderness Trail in Danville, Kentucky. And and Shane, you know, thinking back on that title of master distiller, I mean, had you done anything like that before all this or, or how did you kind of end up with that hat? Well, that hat became um, really that came as a solution of mastering the entire process. And when we say the entire process, um, you know, I'm an engineer. Uh, when you look at, for example, our distillery as a case study, you know, I designed our distillery. I laid out every pipe in it. You know, I got the process flow. Uh, you know, basically how it works uh, was on my computer and in my process. And you have to have just an infinite knowledge uh, to, to put that together and for it to work properly. And so then you incorporate into that uh, the front end of the process, such as grains and working with the farmers and understanding terroir, understanding quality grains, take that on through, you know, the, the chemistry and the physics that are going on into actually making the whiskey. And, you know, how do we develop those things? And then come out the back end, making an excellent product, and then being able to train others on that entire process. That gives you that, that basically that definition. And that wasn't a title I gave to myself. That was destined <laughs> to me. But it really comes back to, you know, we... We have a training program at Firm Solutions that at one particular time, and I, I couldn't tell you it today, uh, but at one particular time, we were training about 35% of the new people coming into the industry. And we were training them from the beginning to the end of the process. And, and so, you know, no different than going to college or something. You know, you're going to learn from a professor who is a master of their knowledge and so that's where that kind of comes from. And I, and, I, and I use that term loosely. You know, there's so much to still learn uh, as a distiller uh, and as everything in this industry. I have yet to master the entire process, but, but I'll, I'll use the title. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you've got a good handle on a good portion, a portion of yes, it at least. <laughs> I have an excellent handle on it. There's no doubt about it. But there's, there's so many things that I, I'm, I'm learning every day about certain things I don't understand. And that's where, you know, my business partner, Dr. Patrick Heiss comes in. And, and that's why we're the perfect little storm again. You know, what I am not familiar with, he is familiar with. He is great in biochemistry. Uh, I was terrible at organic chemistry. Well, he's good at organic chemistry. 
So, you know, what, where uh, we play off of each other. And so we're one entity, you know, that focuses on our business. I think one of the most fascinating things for me about your, your all's growth is you all were the very first, what I, I guess you could call graduate. Um, you were on the craft tour of the Kentucky bourbon trail and mm-hmm. now you've, you've got, you know, you guys were like, Hey, I, I think we might have to move up. Um, you know, we were producing a, a lot more barrels and things like that. What was that like? Cause I mean, to me that has, was that something you ever imagined, you know, from it, back it was, at your days? <laughs> no, uh, it, it was surreal, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, growing up, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, enjoying the brands of Jim Beam and, uh, and Maker's Mark, you know, and, and those are still my, my favorite brands today. And, and just, you know, respecting and being in awe, you know, you know, even as a kid, you know, going on tours, you know, down like the Jack Daniels and all these other places and just, you know, it's being fascinated and, and to be now uh, considered uh, one of the peers with that group is just mind boggling to us. It's very humbling. Uh, it, it really is when you really understand the, the heritage and the long history of making bourbon in Kentucky and the families that have really, you know, developed this industry like the Samuels and the Knowles. It, it's just it's just an amazing industry. And it's just fascinating to be a part of it. And I was going to say, I mean, for, for you, uh, you know, being the master distiller and one of the co-founders, I'm sure you're out and about a little bit nowadays and, you know, promoting the brand, whether that was back when tours happened a little more frequently or things like that. What What's that part of it like? Because obviously now there's a, probably a lot more people that know about Wilderness Trail. There is. Um, and we're, we're very fortunate for that. Um, that we, we have become kind of a, a recognized, you know, very quality Kentucky brand. And, and uniquely, uh, what was starting to happen was, you know, that, that travel, that, that exposure to get to this bourbon society or get to this state or get to this release, you know, it was starting to really come after us. And, and obviously, we've grown our team to help, you know, keep up with that and brand ambassadors and those type of things. And then, and then basically, you know, the pandemic hits, and, and the interest never stopped. And what was unique is that the new norm or the new vehicle, you know, becomes Zoom and Teams. And, 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 and now we're able to get in front of the British Bourbon Society, you know, at any time we want to, instead of, you know, last year or a year before, you know, making a trip, going over, spending time, getting lost, you know, <laughs> doing all those type of things. Now... You know, uniquely, we can tap into our ambassador base, our fan base, and the outreach is even more of what we can do more efficiently and effectively. Now, we, we miss the, the in, in-person, you know, discussions and, and concepts, but, but it really is kind of unique to how um, the situation has turned out to provide more access to more of our fans. And, and I was going to say, what's that like to be part of this bourbon business that, I mean, 20 years ago, you, you know, you might've known a couple of the big brands, but nowadays, I mean, people seek out, you know, this different release and that different release. What's that like to see this bourbon industry just explode recently? It's exciting. Uh, and, and, and because you're, you know, you're part of it and, you know, you're, you're it's kind of like raising a child, right? I mean, we've, We've cultured this child. We've nurtured it. It's set back. It's gotten older. It's aged. You know, it's our little little baby. And, and to see people, 
you know, excited about getting the hold of it uh, or, you know, really standing in line to, to do that. I mean, to me, the, again, it's just back to being humbled that, you know, there's just this unwritten, you know, kind of respect that we really do receive that of appreciation, you know, for what we're trying to, trying to do. And so that's just very cool. And, and just to be a part of it, you know, I think anybody part of something bigger than themselves, you know, you, you feed off of that. And this and this bourbon industry is way bigger than <laughs> than me or anybody individual. <laughs> and it's just, you know, you could wear yourself out in it. And so you got to really, you know, you, you almost have to pace yourself uh, because bourbon industry is a marathon. There's no doubt about it. And I was going to say, you guys have a few different bourbons. So for those that may not know exactly what all you offer, what all do you guys produce? And it's not just all bourbon, correct? Correct. Uh, well, we actually currently today have four whiskeys on the market. We make a uh, bottled and bond single barrel uh, bourbon that's made with uh, wheat. So it's a 64% corn, 24% wheat. 12% malted barley with one of our proprietary yeast strains. And again, bottled at 100 proof for a bottled and bond. And currently those are going out into the market at a five-year-old. We have the big sister to that, which is our six-year-old. Now we're into our seven-year-old whiskeys, but we're holding those for eight-year releases. So now we're releasing our six-year weeded bourbon. Uh, so that's out there, same mash bill. Obviously it's just six years old. And then we decided early on, uh, because that, that analysis or paralysis by analysis led us to think, well, what is a rye like? Because we're, we're weeders. We, we love weeded bourbons and weeded whiskeys. But we wanted to get in on the rye. So we made a rye bourbon, small batch, bottled in bond, uh, that's blended with 12 barrels. So that's a really, really small batch. And that is the same mash bill, 64% corn. 24% rye, 12% malted barley. And so really, if you're ever one of those people like, you know, I, I really enjoy bourbon, but I don't know if this is a rye or if this is a wheat. Because back in the day, not a lot of whiskeys, you know, were transparent about what's in the bottle, right? You just, you know, am I a weeder or am I a rye? So a lot of people didn't know that. So we made those two whiskeys so you can define, you know, do I like a rye or do I like a wheat? Because everything is the same in them except that rye and the wheat. Then we make a cast strength single barrel rye whiskey uh, that's a very, very low uh, entry proof of about 100 to 105, which makes a very interesting barrel proof whiskey because you can get a barrel proof bottle, you know, damn near 100 proof and then up to 115, 117 proof, depending on where that's at in the warehouse. So that rounds out our four whiskeys. And then we also, uh, in the early days, because we were aging our whiskeys, we offered a rum made from Kentucky sorghum molasses aged in bourbon barrels, used bourbon barrels. And uh, we made a vodka that was triple distilled from our double distilled weeded whiskey. So it, we called it the bourbon drinker's vodka mainly because it was a three grain, uh, you know, a recipe, but it was a whiskey. Uh, and if we put it into a barrel, it would have been a bourbon, but we put it into our pot still and turned it into a vodka. So those two products actually kind of kept us from getting mauled 
when visitors would come <laughs> on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Trail, ready to drink Kentucky bourbon all the way from, let's say, Utah or something. And we're like, uh, it's all in the warehouse. But, uh, but hey, we've got this vodka free to drink. And, you know, sometimes we would get the yelled at. Sometimes we, <laughs> sometimes somebody would try it, like it, and, and buy a case. But, uh, but those are placeholders for us. Uh, we still make them today because we, we built a really nice fan base over the years. But we are primarily bourbon and whiskey guys. And I was going to say, I think that's what a lot of people may not understand. You know, the bigger brands, they're basically they're bourbon producers. But when you're a craft guy to start out with and you want to make sure you get bourbon barrels, they got to age a little while and you got to make a little money during that time, right? Right, <laughs> right, yeah. And again, we were very fortunate that we had Firm Solutions really funding that side for us. But we still wanted to offset, you know, some of that cost, you know, as much as we could. And and so vodka and rum, you know, kind of paid the light bills, you know, for for a while that, that really did kind of help us along. But more importantly, it kept us relevant. Um, you know, it kept us, you know, people were talking about it or, wow, this is good. You know, I can't wait till their whiskeys come out. So it was, it was something to stay relevant, you know, in terms of marketing. And you guys, you know, obviously this year has been a little different um, for everything. Uh, you guys ended up making something else, and that was hand sanitizer. What was that like? <laughs> it was a unique experience. Um, <laughs> you know, we we look back on it, and we would do it all over again, you know, in a heartbeat. And it was just something that, that obviously, you know, hit uh, the world at the same time. Uh, we, we had the immediate thought that, you know, hey, we can do this uh, because of really our firm solutions industrial backgrounds. You know, we, we had actually done this before. So we immediately knew what ingredients we needed. We knew what the process needed to be. And uh, and because we're still small and nimble, we were able to jump at it very quickly. And we did it without batting an eye. Um, and, and at that time, there were you know everything from regulations to are you going to have to pay taxes on it? I mean, just, you know, we're talking about paying potable alcohol taxes on hand sanitizer, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely, <laughs> you don't even want to pay the taxes on that. Right. But, mm-hmm. but we didn't, we didn't look at it that way. We had our local hospitals, our local, you know, mis- municipalities, our fire and our health, uh, and a doc, local doctors were all reaching out, just pleading for help. And so we just jumped at it. Um, ironically, our visitor center, you know, team, uh, we're now, you know, we had to close that. So it was like, well, what are we going to do, you know, with, with these folks and we're going to find them something. So they, they immediately migrated to that hand sanitizer line. Uh, they were part of the production for that while we continued production, you know, over on the whiskey side. So, you know, we were still feeding the, the market into that. And, um, and it was just such a wonderful feeling. I mean, you, you went home, uh, and you slept really well because you, you, you felt like you really accomplished something that day. We're talking with Shane Baker, co-founder and master distiller of Wilderness Trail in Danville, Kentucky. And Shane, before I let you go, my, my last question is, what is next for, for you all and for you and Wilderness Trail? Because obviously you guys have grown mightily over these past eight or so years. And, you know, you got some, uh, I'm sure some barrels of bourbon that you're ready to, to let loose. What, what's next for you guys? Well, you know, we're actually in our beautification phase. Um, we're, you know, we've been a distillery here, uh, and because we're kind of science guys, if you will, 
Sometimes we might be a little more operationally focused than we should be. And uh, we've been able to, to bring on some really talented people to our team that has us more focused on creating more of a destination here. So, so that is definitely on our doorsteps of creating our campus here into more of a destination to enjoy. And then also, you know, we're starting to get into our older whiskeys. So you're going to start seeing a lot older releases from us. Um, and um, just our whiskeys is going to keep getting better. Well, I look forward uh, to, to those releases, and it looks like you guys have a heck of a future in front of y'all. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you again to Shane Baker, co-founder and master distiller of Wilderness Trail in Kentucky. They have such a cool story, and they're such a young distillery that's doing such big things. You need to check them out. Wilderness Trail uh, Distillery in Kentucky. Also want to thank Liz, uh, better known as Girl Meets Beer on Instagram for hopping on for a six-pack of questions. And before we head out, remember to find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Hop Spirits. You can catch all the beer reviews, all the fun at Hop Spirits on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time, cheers, everyone. <laughs>